Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. This week, perhaps you have seen some of it. There is a grand pomp and circumstance taking place across the pond from the United States in Great Britain. The Ascot Horse Racing Spectacular, which lasts for five days, many hours each day, many races each day, and which is headed up, as it were, attended by and in essence, headed up by the Queen, none other than the Queen and the royal family. And on the first day of this spectacular event, frankly, uh, which was the other day, the procession of the royal carriages included the Queen and her daughter, Princess Anne, and others in the first carriage, followed by her son, Charles, and that woman, Camilla Parker Bowles, whom he preferred to his wife, Diana, and a couple others. And then in the third carriage, none other than Prince Harry, that's right. Prince Henry and his new bride, Meghan Markle, and a couple others, uh, rather a couple. Uh, but Prince Harry uh, and his bride with their new titles, I believe the titles are Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Don't hold me to that. And then a fourth carriage, can't recall who was in that, but very splendiferous. And can't help but think, you know, from my perspective, it would be so much better. It would be so much better here in this United States of America if somehow or other we could, you know, elect President Trump to be a ceremonial king instead of being president. And if he could just busy himself with things like that, you know, with ribbon cuttings and uh, all of these sorts of grand gestures, instead of the kinds of grand gestures which he made in the past couple weeks, first at the G7 summit and then in Singapore, with his momentous, unprecedented summit, with this vicious, monstrous, murderous, thug, playboy, dictator, Kim, who is now his new BFF. But I'll come back to that in a little bit. Very brief. 
briefly, let me just say this, that this week, of course, the president is continuing to fumble around with the matter of how to address illegal immigration. And because this president and past presidents and so very many of the leaders of the most uh, powerful leaders in Congress in both houses, because so very many of them are so ungodly and unrighteous and devoid of godly wisdom, devoid of the fear of the Lord, which precludes them from ever having the tiniest modicum of a beginning of godly wisdom, our immigration policies are doomed to be a a mess. And that's whether we have a powerful president, you know, one who has accrued all manner of expansive powers, which have been accomplished now, especially in the 20th and 21st centuries, or whether it happens to be in a place like Great Britain where they have a very weak form of parliamentary democracy, what have you. All of these governments are doomed to have disastrous immigration policies in this day and age, in any day and age, but especially in this day and age because of their dearth of godliness and godly wisdom. And I know that must seem like a terribly undiplomatic thing to say, and certainly it is. It is certainly that. If you go back, way back, millennia back, to the immigration policy that God put in place for Israel, for this new nation of Israel. The criteria for people coming into the nation was not how much value they brought, not how intelligent and educated and skilled and wealthy they were. You know, unlike the likes of our president who continually reminds us, did during his presidential campaign and will during his feeble attempt at a a, uh, (laughs) re-election, which is uh, down the road a bit, uh, continually reminds us of his tremendous intellect, right? Always protesting about how smart he is and how educated he is and how extraordinarily breathtakingly successful he has been, how wealthy he is, all of that. Well, our immigration policies are very heavily skewed to favor those who bring a lot to the table, as our president might say. Instead of merely being honest, honorable, God-fearing, caring, loving, hardworking, responsible people who love their children and want to make a better life for them. Okay, that, 
that gets trumped, pun intended, by those who have degrees and advanced degrees and talents and skills to bring to this nation. A little bit reminiscent to me of Operation Paperclip and of the operation also that took place in Asia. But these operations, as they were called, these intelligence operations that took place at the end of World War II, which enabled war criminals to be brought to the United States of America, even as they were being taken to the Soviet Union and being VIPs, being made very important people because of their advanced skills, knowledge, intellect, technologies, and so forth, inventive genius, which trumped everything else. Again, pun intended. But what was required was that any people coming into this nation of Israel had to obey God, had to obey the laws of the land. Which, interestingly enough, (laughs) the people of Israel failed to do. The kings of Israel absolutely not only failed to do, but did diametrically contrary to for most of the history of Israel and caused the people to do diametrically contrary to those who weren't doing diametrically contrary to the laws of God, the will of God, all by their selves. But God's requirement, God's criteria, was that these strangers who would come into the land were required to obey him, to obey God, to obey God's laws not to pass through some bureaucratic uh, maze, not to wait years and years and years to be accepted, not to bring myriad talents and abilities and other kinds of talents, talents of silver and gold and precious jewels and all of this sort of thing and herds, but rather that they would obey God that they would serve God. Well, here in this United States of America and in Europe, obeying God and serving God are almost extinct ideas (laughs) and uh, certainly considered passe and archaic and arcane and antiquitian Things of antiquity, and that we have gotten so far beyond. Unless, of course, they're Muslims, and then, well, we have to pay obeisance to that. Or to those who worship all manner of other things than the one true God. But these immigration policies are doomed to be unjust, unfair, inequitable, and doomed to fail to keep vicious 
ruthless, murderous cartels, kidnapper, rapist, pimp, enslavers, and Islamist, Islamo-fascist terrorists out. They're doomed to fail to do those things, just as to this day, despite all of the assurances from past presidents, notably Barack Hussein Obama, and also people who have been elected by the public to serve their states, which are on the border, those such as John McCain, have failed throughout for the duration of their political lives, have failed to effectively address these extremely great needs, grave needs. But I have to come back from those pressing needs, which again will our president-in-chief, who is, oh, so wise, uh, he and his advisors and Congress and the Supreme Court will continue to bumble and fumble just as the United Kingdom and the European continent has terribly mucked it up, you might say, has made a terrible mess of it, has given carte blanche to those who are dedicated to destroying free nations. But back to the great, momentous, unprecedented Singapore summit. I have to come back to it because it is a microcosm of the man who is the president of the United States of America. Now, going back... Back before Barack Hussein Obama came to power, George W. Bush was president. His father, George Herbert Walker Bush, had been president and had been vice president for two terms for President Ronald Reagan and had, instead of serving the will of President Ronald Reagan, had seen fit to put forth his own agenda and to pack the administration with his people. And he was well qualified to do that, having been the director of the CIA, among other things. But George W. Bush, after the Islamist terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, and company built up to the attack and invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq. And I broadcast program after program after program after program just month in, month out, month in, month out, preceding (laughs) 
those attacks and those invasions, and on through. During those military operations and the occupation, military occupation and what have you. Because while it was entirely fitting and proper and necessary and requisite to strike Al-Qaeda, to strike those responsible for this and all of those who aided and abetted them, all of those who were involved with them, be they Taliban or what have you, whether they happen to be in the royal family in Saudi Arabia and so forth, and the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood and what have you. But while that was entirely fitting and proper and necessary and cried for a response, still in all, this matter of invading Iraq and Afghanistan was more a matter of unfinished business from when George Herbert Walker Bush was president. And I was convinced that instead of it making things better, it would make things terribly much worse, positively, absolutely, for the United States of America. I mention that because for those who would insist that I'm just being too harsh on our President Trump, uh, (laughs) if you had heard me on those programs, any of you who think I'm being too harsh to the Donald, you would see that I'm not being any harsher to him than I was to George W. But to this day, despite what our president has said and done prior to becoming president, during the run-up to the presidency, the presidential campaign, to this hour, I still hold that it was the better thing to elect this man than to elect Hillary Rodham Clinton, because I still am of the opinion that Trump, for all of his fatal flaws, and he has a boatload of them, despite the fact that it is that it was during the presidential election and that it has been during his presidency, as far as I am concerned, embarrassing, mortifying, and downright shameful... <laughs> to have him as president, that it would be worse to have somebody who's evil and who is deliberately, premeditatedly bent on the destruction and enslavement of this nation. You know, enemies domestic. Well, the Singapore summit. The team Trump, I believe that most of them, 
sincerely and extremely wrongly believe that they accomplished some sort of a hypothetical uh, coup, political coup, not a not the type that involves assassination, but that is just a political stroke of genius that somehow or other they were managing to uh, fool and coerce and pressure and force Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, Kim Young-un to come to the bargaining table, to enter into a powwow and to give up his grand illusions, his lust for nuclear power and what have you, and to cause a reign of terror to go beyond his borders and to spill over into South Korea and Japan and Okinawa and Taiwan and so forth. I believe that many of them, certainly the president, are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that due to, thanks to the brilliance of the commander-in-chief, the leader, the erstwhile leader of the free world, that Team Trump was able to do this, was able to force Kim to give up his nuclear ambitions and what have you that they were able to do that because of Trump's fiery rhetoric via tweets, via Twitter, or Twitter-in-chief. But the, the irony, the great irony is this, is that in point of fact what happened <laughs> is this two-bit thug, gangster, monstrous, murderous destroyer over there in North Korea that by dint of his parade of nuclear war threats focused on the United States of America that instead he hoodwinked fooled, persuaded, coerced, not just the president, but team Trump to insist on seizing on this invitation for a summit and giving to this vicious, bloody little dictator everything that he wanted and obtaining nothing in exchange. I know that seems just really harsh, awfully harsh of me, but I mentioned on the previous program that our president, President Donald Trump had made some less than flattering comments regarding 
Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. At the time of the president's departure from Singapore, you know, after this phenomenally successful summit, our president would have us believe. And yet he made comments regarding Canadian Prime Minister and directly after having heaped the most extreme praise on this Joseph Stalin would-be destroyer, this Pol Pot would-be there in North Korea. And I thought, that's remarkable. Because you see, en route to Singapore, over the weekend prior to this summit in Singapore, after leaving the Group of Seven summit, prematurely, because he was, among other things, a bit tiffed. (laughs) The Donald, that is the president, he blasted Trudeau, said of Trudeau that he was dishonest, he was weak, and he went on and on. But it is remarkable that then After the Singapore summit, the Donald comes back to that even before he leaves Singapore. Gets out to Air Force One and and he lights into Trudeau again. (laughs) He bookends, you know, his orgy of praise for Kim and his BFF buddy buddy, you know, love fest there with Kim with these volleys at Trudeau. Now, Trudeau was a leftist through and through, absolute leftist, socialist, all socialists are, some of them more than others. But he, as far as I'm concerned, he's he's a disaster for Canada, but nonetheless, amazing. So White House Chief Economic Advisor, Larry Kudlow, What did he say regarding his president's outburst? He said, quote, he, that is Donald Trump, he is not going to permit any show of weakness on the trip to negotiate with North Korea. Nor should he. Kim, that is Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, must not see American weakness, end quote. Isn't that great? Okay, so the president had to with cheap theater, had to take it out here on Trudeau in order to show that he is boss. He's the alpha dog. Nobody, nobody tells him what to do. Nobody gives him what for. Nobody speaks down to him without him instantly retaliating. Because he had to show that he was strong and powerful to... Lil' Kim. Well, furthermore, after that, prior to the summit, Trump and Team Trump vowed on Monday, the day of the beginning of the summit, that the United States would not repeat past 
missteps or faux pas. Quote, and this is from Pompeo, who was briefly CIA director and now Secretary of State. Quote, the United States has been fooled before. There's no doubt about it. Despite any past flimsy agreements, the president will ensure no potential agreement fails to adequately address the North Korean threat, end quote. That's encouraging, right? (laughs) And yet, the president, prior to the summit, he boasted, I know you're having trouble believing that the president would ever boast, that President Trump would ever boast. Yes, he boasted that he didn't need to do much to prepare for the summit. Let me repeat that. Okay, The president, who with his team vowed they would not repeat the faux pas of the past, they would ensure that no potential agreement failed to adequately address the North Korean threat. And yet the president boasted to the press that he didn't need to do much to prepare for this summit. Even while he let everyone know that this was an unprecedented, momentous summit the likes of which none of his predecessors had ever done, right? Let me digress for a moment just to say I'm Brad Thomas, and this is after all is said and done. And whatever is right or good or true in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Whatever's wrong lacking, needy, failing in this program is due to me, is my fault. Well, prior to private meeting in the summit between Kim and Trump, the president, that is Donald Trump, Seated next to his soon-to-be BFF, he stated, quote, It's my honor. And by extension, I might add, of course, the honor of the United States of America, right? So let me go back. Trump said, quote, It's my honor, and we will have a terrific relationship. I have no doubt, end quote. Hmm? That's prior to their meeting. The president prefaces it with this because he has met him. He has taken hold of his shoulder, taken hold of his hand, looked him in the eyes, looked into his soul, taken the measure of the man, just like George W. did with Vladimir Putin. And he categorically states, it's my honor. And we will have a terrific relationship. I have no doubt. Really, 
it almost sounds like they're about to go on some, you know, boys night out kind of thing, right? <laughs> go out and have a great time on the town. Doesn't it sound that way to you? It's, it does to me. It's, it's got that feeling. It's very fraternal. It makes me think of fraternities. I went to a fraternity rush once in my life, and I was so appalled by it that uh, I, <laughs> I never had anything to do with any fraternities. This was in college. But So later the president said, after their meeting, it's going great. Quote, it's going great. We had a really fantastic meeting. Lots of progress. End quote. And then he also stated, as he and Kim walked together at the resort, quote, really very positive. I think better than anybody could have expected. Top of the line, really good, end quote. Well, let me just say this. No, this was not better than anybody could have expected. This was exactly what the North Koreans and the Chinese and the Russians thought they were going to get. Because, you see, they have taken the measure of the man of our president. And they know he is as vain as vain can be. He is a sucker for flattery. Something that Prime Minister Trudeau would be well advised to take note of. (laughs) Sucker for flattery. Sucker for kiss-ups. For sycophants. Vain, arrogant, beyond prideful. And with a vein of foolishness that runs through him that is as wide and deep as the man himself. And when I say deep, I'm not referring to intellectual depth or depth of soul or spirit. I'm speaking to physical dimensions. And these who are in charge of this, and this is not just North Korea by themselves. This is in cahoots with the communist Chinese regime and the Russian Federation. (laughs) They know the measure of the man, of Donald Trump. He has these fatal weaknesses. So, they fully expected to succeed as well as they did. They just give him enough rope for him to hang himself and to hang the nation and to hang the free world. You know? But then Trump said after this, I think the meeting, quote, I think the meeting was every bit as good for the United States as it was for North Korea, end quote. Now, as as I mentioned previously, wait a minute. Is this a 50-50 situation here? You've got little, murderous, monstrous, vicious, ruthless, warmongering, satanic 
North Korean communist regime of the Kim dynasty. And you have the United States of America. And our dear, wonderfully wise president was satisfied for it to be every bit as good for the U.S. as for North Korea. Even though he and his team imagined that they succeeded in pressuring and forcing Kim to meet. Beyond belief. How blunderingly foolish and blind that was. But simply by agreeing to this summit and promoting it, puffing it to the press of the world, this president of the United States provided Kim and his bloody satanic regime in North Korea with a major, huge, momentous, dare I say, huge propaganda win and made a fool out of this president. But hey, that isn't something new. That's what he's been. (laughs) So that's not exactly a change there. That's just standard operating procedure. But Now to the summit agreement. Let's just go with the bullet points of the four big things that were agreed to there. And I am quoting the United States and the DPRK. Let me digress for a moment. The DPRK, Democratic People's Republic of Korea. First of all, it's not a democracy. Secondly, it's not a republic. (laughs) Thirdly, it's not about the people. It's not the people's. This is a communist dictatorship. Okay? But if you look at the official names of communist China, of the former Soviet Union, anywhere you look, any communist regime, it's always this kind of verbiage. Okay? So the United States, they don't say USA, United States of America, just the United States, like USSR, you know? So U.S. DPRK, the United States and the DPRK commit to establish new U.S-DPRK relations. So the United States and North Korea are now, they're in a single acronym. Amazing. The U.S. hyphen DPRK. They commit to establish new, as compared to the old ones, new U.S. dash DPRK relations in accordance with the desire of the peoples of the two countries for peace and prosperity. Mm. Desires of the peoples? The North Korean people have nothing to say about this. They have no input in this. This is a three-generation-long dictatorship that murders willy-nilly, murders at will. Kim has seen to it that he has not only murdered North Korean people, and others who have made the mistake of visiting, trying to help North Korean people, but his relatives, 
you know, throw them to the dogs, literally, you know, this sort of thing. And keep that in mind when we come down to the remarks that the president has to make about Kim, in addition to the ones he's already, that I've already mentioned. So the desire of the peoples of the two countries for peace and prosperity, just keep that firmly in mind, peace and prosperity, that's what Kim wants. That's what every nation of people on this earth wants. That's what everybody wants. Can't we all just get along? We all just want peace and prosperity. Mm. Okay, number two, the United States and the DPRK will join their efforts to build a lasting and stable peace regime on the Korean Peninsula. Excuse me, there is a peace regime on the Korean Peninsula. It's known as South Korea. And of course it has its official name. But South Korea, you know what nation I'm referring to. That is a peace regime. And it has been fighting for its life (laughs) to keep from being invaded and overthrown and destroyed by the regime of Donald Trump's new BFF. But we are going to join together, form a coalition with the DPRK of Kim to build a lasting and stable peace regime on the Korean Peninsula. Number three, reaffirming the April 27, 2018 Panmunjom Declaration, the DPRK commits to work toward complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, not of North Korea, of the Korean Peninsula. All right? Guess what? Kim was merely reaffirming the very same commitment to denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula that North Korea has made over and over again, going back to when Bill Clinton first became president, back before he became president. All right? This isn't something new. This isn't something that Trump accomplished. This is the same old, same old. While they keep on trying to destroy their neighbor to the south, North Korea does. Yes, this peace-loving, prosperity-loving, people's democratic, vicious, ruthless, murderous communist regime intent on the violent destruction of South Korea. And then... Uh, The United States and the DPRK commit to recovering POW-MIA remains, including the immediate repatriation of those already identified. Guess what? Again, not something new, uh, contrary to what Trump would have you believe. North Korean officials have made pledges like this for more than three decades regarding returning remains of prisoners of war missing in action of the United States of America. And then, finally, President Donald J. Trump of the United States of America and Chairman 
Kim Jong-un of the State Affairs Commission of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea have committed to cooperate for the development of new U.S-DPRK relations and for the promotion of peace, prosperity, and security of the Korean Peninsula and of the world. So now, now Chairman Kim is going to bring about world peace. Doesn't that make you feel secure? So we can go on with just single-mindedly living our lives. (laughs) All right. uh, Don't go hide away from terrorists. Just get out there and, you know, go enjoy yourselves and buy things. You remember the Trump administrations and the Obama administrations and the Bush administrations and the Clinton administrations, exhortations, you know, don't cower away, go, go travel, live it up. Well, Trump announced a number of things, but among them he committed to provide security guarantees to Kim's regime. That's right. We're going to protect them from South Korea. (laughs) All right. Protect the aggressor from the one trying to defend itself. Outstanding. Trump announced that he will order an end to regular so-called war games. You know, war games. Yes. Military exercises, joint military exercises, between the United States of America and South Korea, which they have engaged in now for decades for the defense of South Korea from the Kim family North Korean regime. Trump, Donald Trump, he called the joint military exercises very provocative and inappropriate in light of the optimistic opening that he sees with North Korea, okay? So in light of his take on what transpired in Singapore, now those joint military exercises are totally inappropriate because North Korea only wants peace and prosperity. He found that out from his new BFF. And they're very provocative, of course, Who does he get this from? You know, did he pen this? No. The very provocative, inappropriate language is boilerplate from Kim's North Korean regime, but more importantly, from the communist regime of China. So Trump agreed to China's demand for freeze for freeze. That is, United States of America halting military exercises with South Korea, in return for North Korea giving these assurances. Okay. Well, interestingly enough, at uh, the Shangri-La, nice name for it, don't you think? Defense Dialogue in Singapore earlier in June, South Korean Defense Minister Song Yung-moo said that the American military's activities in South Korea were a separate issue from North Korea's nuclear issue. (laughs) Little did he know that our president would pull the rug out from under them and just give that away. But he said, quote, U.S. forces stay in the Korean Peninsula to maintain stability and peace in the Korean Peninsula 
and Northeast Asia. Well, so much for that. And our president, what did he say? He said it was an honor to meet Kim, an honor to meet him. Fascinating. And he said the following, quote, great personality and very smart, good combination, end quote. I know he speaks in fragments, you know, our president. Uh, Oh, well. And he said the following, quote, I learned that he's, that is Kim, murderer, destroyer Kim, that he's a very talented man. I also learned that he loves his country very much, end quote. Now, he loves himself very much. He loves his regime very much. He added that, quote, Kim was a worthy negotiator, a very worthy, very smart negotiator, end quote. So in other words, he's on Trump's level. He's a peer. It's peer-to-peer. They're in the same inner circle of these high-power negotiators. It's just fantastic, you know. Quote, I think that he really wants to do a great job for North Korea. End quote. Maybe Trump can make him his next apprentice. We can hope, but apparently that's what he's doing. He wants to do the right thing, Trump said of Kim. Quote, we're not going to play the war games. I thought they were very provocative. I also thought they're also very expensive. Yes, he did say also twice. And then Trump said he trusts Kim. Well, of course, our president gets this very expensive line from Team Trump. Then he goes on to say, you know, in my lifetime, I've done a lot of deals with a lot of people. And sometimes the people you most distrust turn out to be the most honorable ones. And the people that you do trust turn out to be not the honorable ones. I know he speaks badly, but uh, isn't that interesting? So now Kim has been transformed into an honorable man, one of the most honorable here. Okay, I believe he wants to get it done. I do trust him. I do trust him. That's a quote, direct quote. Maybe in a year you'll be interviewing and I'll say I made a mistake. It's possible. We're dealing at a high level. A lot of things can change. A lot of things are possible. So Trump on Tuesday said that he trusted Kim to hold up his end of the agreement. He added, quote, and again, I may be wrong. Oh, no, not you. I may be wrong. I mean, I may stand before you in six months and say, hey, I was wrong. I don't know that I'll ever admit that, but I'll find some kind of an excuse. (laughs) End quote. Then he goes on to say, I would love to have him at the White House. How about having him sleep in the uh, George Washington bedroom or the Abraham Lincoln bedroom? I think that would be appropriate, don't you? And then he went on to say, you know, Otto Warmbier did not die in vain. Oh, I can see that. Absolutely. The president said this. We are very proud of what took place today. He and Kim, BFF Kim, we are very proud of what took place today. He developed a very special bond with with Kim Jong-un. Yes, the president did. And then he goes on to say, our president, we are going to take care of a very big and a very dangerous problem for the world, end quote. What do you think that very big, very dangerous problem is that they're going to take care of? It's Kim. It's the Kim regime. It's the Kim nuclear problem. All right. 
Uh, but anyway, he absolutely is going to invite Kim to the White House. And he said of, again of him, quote, he is very talented. Anybody that takes over a situation like he did at 26 years of age and is able to run it and run it tough. I, I don't say it was nice or I don't say anything about it. He ran it. Very few people at that age, you can take one out of 10,000, probably couldn't do it. Again, Trump speaks, you know, this way. Quote, he's a very talented man. I also learned that he loves his country very much. I like him. I like him. He's smart, loves his people, loves his country. Fascinating. Hmm? And he said to the voice of America, I think, and this is to the North Korean people, our president said this on Voice of America, I think you have somebody that has a great feeling for them, for the North Korean people. He wants to do right by them, and we got along very well. His country does love him. His people, you see the fervor. They have a great fervor. They're going to put it together, and I think they're going to end up with a very strong country, and a country which has people that they're so hardworking, so industrious, end quote. Yes. Then he said, Kim is a transformational leader for his country. Isn't that wonderful? I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.